Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And I'm so excited to have the guest on that I have today. My guest today is a cannabis entrepreneur, a community organizer. He's also the founder of G3 Cannabis Therapy Network, which provides mindful and conscious cannabis consulting services. He's the host of the Cannabis Therapy Podcast. He also founded Craft Cannabis Club and was the first POC dispensary owner in the state of Michigan. He was part of two landmark Michigan Supreme Court cases that changed the legal definition of edibles. Through education and advocacy, he's on the front lines fighting for inclusion, equity, diversity, and strives to destigmatize cannabis and make it more accessible. Earl Carruthers, thanks so much for joining us today on Let's Be Blunt with Montel, sir. What's up, what's up, what's up, though, Montel? What's up, what's up, what's up, my friend? Uh, you tell me, man. I mean, how did you initially become interested in cannabis? Well, it wasn't uh, a natural progression into cannabis. I actually, I was I was anti-cannabis throughout uh, high school and college, more because of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the reefer madness mentality. I thought if I, if I smoke weed that, you know, I'll go crazy and start committing crimes. Um, mm-hmm. And... And sports was my main thing. And my goal was to make it to the league. And I wanted to be the best athlete that I could be. So I kind of stood, I stood away from alcohol and, and, and cannabis. Uh, but I cracked my pelvis um, yeah. playing, playing football. And I, throughout college, wanted to not take opioids. Well, hold on a second before you even go. Don't go past that that quickly, man. Cracking your pelvis is one of those things that a lot of people don't understand. That shit hurts, does it not? Oh, it kills, and it's and it's it's, it's not it's not like you could put a cast on it, you know. Right. What I mean? <laughs> so, right. Did they have to go in and wire you, or did you just have to had to let it heal? Yeah, it was it was a heal, and actually, um, I cracked it my junior year in high school, going into my senior year, and they advised me to sit out for eight months. However, if I set out my next season, there was no guarantee that I was going to get a scholarship. So I played throughout my senior year, and then still earned a scholarship to go play in college. Oh my God, man. I mean, you're playing and you're playing hurt. I mean, really, really hurt because every step you take, you're going to feel a little bit of pain, right? Yeah, I, I was I was about two steps. I mean, I was known for speed throughout high school and I was two, three steps slower throughout the entire year. So yeah, I had to just learn different angles and just kind of grunt it out. And and that and that carried through throughout the whole college season because I couldn't really take a break. So I kept playing um, and never wanted to go to any type of drugs because of, I thought if I got on it, I, I, I would get addicted. Um, and I, I didn't want to go through that the angle, but it wasn't a lot of different, there wasn't a lot of natural solutions out there during this right. time either. Right. So then what, what, then, then is, did you shift over or somebody introduce you to cannabis or, or what? Well, then, uh, after college, um, I ended up, uh, actually becoming a banker, um, actually became a stockbroker, banker, um, advisor. And then I, I wasn't really a suit, a suit and tie type of guy, man. Uh, it was, it was cool. Um, I made good money, but I wanted to really start my own business. So I started to look into what kind of business that I could start. And that took me back to in college. I was like, man, it wasn't really a lot of anti-inflammatory remedies that are natural. Um, so let me kind of create this sports anti-inflammatory pill that's good for pain relief using just natural herbs. And that led me to Googling um, different remedies to that is anti-inflammatory. And that's when cannabis came up. Wow. So you kind of literally found your way to cannabis through research and yep. understanding that, you know, it was going to have a positive medical impact on you. But I mean, uh, do I, how did, I, I think, did you not say that the first time you actually consumed it was your girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so after doing the research and then actually took a, at the time um, in 2008, 2009, we became medical in Michigan and people started doing courses and, and actually classes. So there's like a eight week class. Uh, and course on cannabis. And that's, I, I took that, signed up. And that's why I actually learned that, you know, mar- marijuana was actually called cannabis. I was like, so impressed. I was like, wow, that's a nice word. Why do we call it marijuana? I love the word cannabis. Then right. I learned about uh, indica sativas and the history of cannabis, about cloning, about the legality of it. And then that's when I decided to become a medical caregiver um, and start growing on my own. And gotcha. And that must have been it. That was a shocker to you because when you started learning about it, you started recognizing that this is something that's been around for thousands of years, something that literally was only vilified by America in the last hundred years and realized how 
crazy it was with the fact that we literally criminalized something that could have been, you know, one of the best pain relievers known to man. We criminalized it and created an industry of addiction, right? Yeah, and and it was like as if like the apostle Paul in the Bible, when the scales fell from his eyes and he was blind, then he could see through the education. It was just like, I was so blinded. And I thought this one way that it was the, the whole stigma, the whole um, reefer madness mentality. And then through the education, it was just, I was blinded through all the lies and all the um, deception. And then now I could see the truth. And then that was just like, wow. Um, and that even got me more involved in just the history of cannabis. And then, you know, going back to the to the whole war on drugs, I mean, I mean, going back to the 1930s with Harry J. Anslinger and, you know, his evil desires and agenda. And then even Nixon just amplified it even more uh, from a racist point of view um, with the whole war on drugs was a.k.a. war on certain people and those who were against the wars. Um, and that was the same thing with Harry Anslinger. I mean, people don't even understand that Anslinger actually was a supporter of cannabis during prohibition for alcohol. He made several speeches where he said during his speech that marijuana would probably be a better, you know, uh, elixir for people because there were a lot of elixirs and a lot of tinctures out back then yeah. that had marijuana in it. And he was or or cannabis in it. And he was a supporter of it until he lost his job when prohibition was lifted, you know what I mean? And that's why he decided to make this evil. And, and his yeah. only reason for making it evil was because he wanted to, to follow suit with all the other racists who were trying to find a new, you know, uh, uh, enslavement tool for people who are brown and black. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's like one of the greatest lies ever told. I mean, to me, second to the serpent lying to uh, Eve and, and uh, Adam that you could eat from that tree. I mean, this, right. this whole thing about cannabis was just, and then it's, it's so great because, even the people that it targeted, it got them to believe it, um, that it was so bad. And we still, to this day, as a community, are playing down our own people because of what we believe that was actually meant to target us, meant to enslave us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, you've you've referenced the Bible multiple times, but no one's willing to reference the fact that, you know, those three wise men that we claim were the three wise men, you know, one of them showed up at the tent with Mary and showed up with something called frankincense, which is a form of cannabis. So back then, people don't even understand that, you know, cannabis was routinely used, especially for women who were having babies and especially for those babies who were a little colicky. That's the reason why they burn incense and frankincense inside of tents, kept the baby from coughing all the time. You know what I mean? So, you know, if it was good enough for the baby Jesus, it should be good enough for everybody else. Right. I agree. It's, it's, it's always been a therapeutic remedy. Um, it's always been that way. And, and, and that's kind of what I've led into. And you mentioned the first time me trying it after growing, uh, cannabis for the first time. I said, well, I guess I need to probably try this. <laughs> and then uh, my, my girlfriend um, was a, she actually hid the fact that she was a cannabis consumer until I started growing. Because um, she thought that I would, you know, look down upon her um, from, because of how I was kind of straight and narrow. Um, but yeah, she taught me how to roll it. Uh, we tried it. And, and the first time, I don't even think I got any kind of buzz. Uh, mm. You know, you, you just smoke a little bit, you wonder if you, but it wasn't really until about the third or fourth time I really felt, oh man, I do feel a different altered mindset so right right and i mean uh, tell me a little bit about those days those are caregivers you were growing it so that you could provide it for family members and friends or what yeah so in in michigan um the, the law was you can become a caregiver you can grow for yourself 12 plants and possess plants um and and cannabis for yourself or you can also grow up to five other people uh four other five other people as patients they could be your family members it could be friends um so you can grow for them because not everybody can grow. It takes time. It takes investment. Uh, it takes a, it does take a skill. You do kind of have have some kind of green thumb. Um, so people will find other caregivers to help grow for them. So I grew for myself and I grew for five other people. And that allowed me to grow up to 72 plants, uh, 12 for myself and then 60 for my other five patients. And then I was allowed to carry um, two and a half ounces per person. So two and a half for me um, and then. Uh, 13 or 12.5 for my patients. So I could grow 72 plants and carry 15 ounces on me at any given time underneath the Michigan uh, caregiver um, rules. And that was 15 ounces of flour, 15 ounces of raw cannabis. Well, how was that uh, broken out? Well, I kind of learned about this the the kind of hard way as far as what that actually meant. 
So I was actually the first person arrested, uh, charged and put in jail for the, for the possession of edibles. Um, yes, because after I started uh, growing, uh, I grew, I mean, 72 plants, you can produce a lot of cannabis. So sure you, 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 you have what is called overages. And underneath the law, it's pretty clear that a caregiver can assist a patient. And meaning you can only grow for the patient that you are assigned for. You can only carry for the patient that you're assigned for. But who you could assist could be as long as they were a patient. So say, you know, you are a caregiver and maybe you had a bad crop, but you still need something for your patients. I could assist your patients with all the extras that I had. And that was kind of how the natural uh, caregiver uh, market started here in Michigan from 2008 to around 2015, 2016, where caregivers assisting patients. Um, So, yeah, so I started a delivery service after growing so much. And that delivery service picked up a lot. And however, um, I went out to dinner with my uh, with my girlfriend, now wife, and um, I had got valet and they turned my lights off. And this is you know a, a newer car. I'm not used to turn on my lights. I usually get in. And it's kind of automatic. So I get into my car. Um, I drive uh, for a delivery through um, the suburban area. I end up in Beverly Hills, not California, but there's a Beverly Hills in Michigan. Um, I get pulled over for not having uh, my headlights on. And this was my first experience of driving while black. Uh, mind you. Um, I was a banker. Um, I had a uh, Series 7, 663. I had a very clean record. Never really gotten involved with the law throughout football. I was a captain of the football team. Um, so leadership skills, all that jazz. And I thought, you know, that's whoever gets in trouble with the law, that's them. That doesn't happen to me. Um, but all that went out the window. It was get out the car, um, took my girl out the car, uh, searched the car. There was no probable cause. It wasn't like we were smoking. It wasn't like we were swerving or drinking. Searched the car, and what they end up finding was my delivery bag that was in my trunk uh, for deliveries. Um, however, you asked me the question earlier of um, the 15 ounces. How much of that you know that you can actually carry? Um, is that edibles, flowers, etc.? I had seven ounces of flour, and I have two dozen brownies. Um, I end up, we end up, we me, my wife and I end up having to go to jail for like 72 hours because they found that did what? not. Did not get charged. They are interrogating her, making her cry, saying that I was, you know, trying to use her. Um, I'm a drug dealer. They want to know where the grow is, where the stash is. Um, they, they impounded my car. And mind you, there was no constitutional reason to search the car. And and but their reason was an inventory search, which that wasn't even, you know, a reason. So nevertheless, they found the cannabis. Um, and I, I didn't get charged. I, I, I people were looking for me because I'm I'm missing. You know, I I didn't get a phone call for 48 hours. Uh, so I ended up calling my brother. He ended up getting a, an attorney to come in to get both of us out. Um, no charges. Um, I got charged eight months later with a felony with possession with intent to deliver because they counted each brownie as weed. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name is Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. Wait a minute. Are you kidding me? They didn't, they didn't count the brownies as the content or <laughs> the content was in there? No? No, they, they counted the cocoa, the egg, the oil, everything as cannabis because, uh, again, I had seven, seven ounces. I can carry 15 legally. And even if you're over your limit, you still have a affirmative defense. You just have to explain that it was a reasonable amount for what you um, would be doing. So if I was making hash oil, I may need a pound for that. So I just need to be able to explain that. So even if I was over my limit, I still have a defense. But they pretty much said I was over my limit. Um, I was not protected by the medical marijuana law. And it counted each brownie as we. So I went from seven ounces to 72 ounces of cannabis. Wow. Yes. Yes, those are some very some very expensive brownies. However, <laughs> what, what kind of what did, what did they what did they send you to for that? Oh, so I end up um, getting charged. And I'm just you know, I, I came from Baker. I, I read the law. I had no intent to come in here to be some kind of sly 
you know, drug dealer uh, per se. I had business cards, a website. Uh, I wasn't hard to find. Um, I was le- legitimately see a, a nice opportunity to get in, quote unquote, at the ground floor and grow this um, to to be a business that can work. So um, I ended up taking it, fighting it, um, hired multiple different attorneys. Um, I kept getting offered pleas. I'm like, what am I pleading to? What possession of brownies? I mean, it says in the law that I can carry, you know, flour and the mixture thereof. And this was, you know, a mixture thereof, meaning I'm mixing it. But from the courts, uh, depending on where you are in court, it's their interpretation was, well, it's only dry flour. It does not count um, any kind of mixture that you're mixing that flour into another substance. And I was like, that's that's bogus. So I took it to trial um, and I ended up going to trial. But right before trial, when they called the witnesses, uh, the prosecutor made a motion to deny me the right to be able to even mention the word medical marijuana and all the evidence that was there because those brownies were labeled um everything was labeled like one gram of cannabis in each brownie this is the net weight so everything was even labeled so if you counted each gram i was way under my 15 ounces thought it was gonna be easy peasy jury trial you know call this a day all right i'm over um but no they ended up uh, the judge ended up granting him to allow me to not use the word medical marijuana because if i said medical marijuana it would be as if i was getting sympathy from the jury uh, I was like, oh, all right. So then we had they blacked out all of the uh, medical marijuana images, all the medical marijuana labels. So when I go to trial, I just look like a black man with weed. So I end up getting found guilty with uh, possession with intent to deliver because I mean I did deliver, and I did have intent, but it was to a medical patient. But I can't, but I, but I can't see that. And that that to me should have been grounds for an appeal right there. How can they dare? How dare they? After they've granted you the ability to deliver medical cannabis, say that you're not delivering medical cannabis. I, I, I just don't understand it. Yeah, the, their, their logic was, well, if you're over your limit, um, again, this is still, this is early 2010, 2011. And it was still, I mean, granted, it's almost 10 years ago, but it was still a very anti-cannabis mentality. Um, right now, I mean, we, we have going dog years as far as in, in, in cannabis, as far as progressing the the, the acceptance of cannabis, but even in the early medical, I mean, our attorney general um, was anti-cannabis. Um, the governor didn't want the Medical Marijuana Act to pass. So they did what they did to disrupt the entire um, scene right. by letting the court cases sort it out. So um, their logic was that if you fell out of your immunity, meaning if you fell out of the very narrow, narrow parameters of having 72 plants, two and a half ounces per person, then you are going to be charged underneath the the regular narcotics act. So because I was out out of my limit, because they counted each brownie as weed, I was charged underneath the narcotics act. So yes, I had an automatic right to appeal only because I went to a trial. So at trial, um, they revoked my bond. Usually you go to trial if you lost. This is my first time I'm ever going to try my first thing on my record. Worst case scenario, I'm thinking, all right, they're going to give me probation. Um, You know, misdemeanor, um, something like that. And no, I got, they revoked my bond and sentenced me to uh, put me in jail right then and there. Usually they are, you still be out on bond, come back in a couple of weeks, get sentenced. Um, and then you go from there. No, I didn't. I mean, I was, did not, my attorney didn't think, no one thought I was going to go to jail even at the end of the, the, uh, the trial. Cause I mean, I, I was still, I had no record. This wasn't like a, I was a habitual person, but they, uh, cause I guess I had the balls to take this to trial. Um, they ended up revoking my bond, put me in jail. They lost my paperwork in jail, quote unquote. Um, and I had, instead of me getting sentenced in two weeks, I got sentenced like 30 to 40 days later um, in jail. Um, so I mean, my whole life was disrupted. I mean, imagine me taking you right now, did not planning to go to jail, taking you out of society, putting you somewhere. I mean, I had businesses to run. Um, I had just opened up a gym at that time. Um, I had the whole delivery service, the plants, the grow, all that stuff was just all disrupted right then and there for about a month. How did you how did you get through this legal process? So, um, man, it's, it's, it's a whole, it's like, it's like a it's Netflix okay. <laughs> No, it's okay, man. It's like a Netflix story. I'm going to tell you, I, I, people, people are sitting at home right now waiting with bated breath to hear how you got out of this. So I'm going to pause there for one second because while I was going, it's, it's not like law and order where like you get arrested one day and then you're at trial, you're in the Supreme Court the next day, right? Um, this is this. I was going to court for about four years, okay, back sitting, and forth. Wait a minute, but sitting in jail? No, no. So when I first 
got charged while I was going through all the different, I mean, I went from um, judicial court or, or district court to circuit court, uh, many different motions and hearings, um, different um, uh, appeals of, of motions. Yeah, it was a whole dragged out process. At this time, I'm still operating. Gotcha. I, mean, I can talk about it now. I'm still operating because I got to pay for, I still got to pay the bills. So I'm right. still operating my d- delivery service. And I actually ended up expanding during this time. I ended up getting so busy with delivery services. I, I also had a credit repair business at the time. Um, I ended up getting an extra office um, to just have appointment only, like a clinic, almost like a like a dentist office where it's by appointment. You can call, you can come in. Um, I can sit down, I can show you a variety of things, a very personal service. Um, so I ended up doing that. So I had deliveries and then I also had a clinic and hiring someone to run my front desk and having someone. So I ended up having quote unquote, like a dispensary, but it's more like a private collective per se. Okay. So now that's going on and I end up, uh, expanding that and then I get raided. So while I'm going, to, <laughs> while I'm going to trial, go to court for this delivery case, this brownie case, we call it the brownie case for the brownie case. I get raided. Um, for this dispensary case. Um, so, and I get raided based upon a undercover officer coming into the clinic. Now the clinic, it was truly like a collective where you couldn't join unless you had to prove that you were a patient, meaning you need to show your card. You need to have your ID. You need to have proof that the state cast your check because the state cast your check. That means that they approve what the doctor recommended because we can't call you know the doctor and say hey is, did you write this script because of HIPAA laws. So, right. but the state when the state cast your check, I mean they obviously approved it. So therefore, that's proof that you were accepted because you can make a fake card, you can make up fake paperwork. Uh, but if we have proof of your cash check, that allowed us to verify that you were actually a approved person. Gotcha. Um, and then we had an agreement that you were joining this collective and that, you know, this is for you. You're not going to go out and resell it. Um, this is, you're not going to uh, smoke and drive. You're not going to. Uh, so we have rules. You're, you're, you're not going to any funny business. This is not for kids. You got to be 21 years of age or older. So everything was by the book, by the law, because I wanted it to be a, a business. A, a, a cop came in with a fake ID, um, a fake patient card, a fake state cast, uh, state cast check, signed our agreement, came in and made four or five um, donations um, for product. Nothing outrageous. No, Graham here, a quarter here. And he's even uh, caught on tape uh, talking about how his back was hurting. He acted as a patient all the time. Um, So uh, then a month later after that, we got raided based upon us serving people that were outside of our five patients. Now, mind you, I said that we could grow for the, the five patients. We could carry for the five patients, but who we could assist was a patient. Um, But, the attorney general and depending on what county you're in, it was like, it's uh, whatever county you were in. If that prosecutor was anti-cannabis, then they were to just raid everybody and let the courts figure it out. Um, and that's what happened. Um, so we had to go to court and fight how, you know, our interpretation, that was a plain language of law that we were serving patients. Um, you're fighting two cases at the same time. So, yeah. So yeah. now, yes. Yeah, so now I got two cases. So we get raided. I'm still going through. Now I got these two cases. And now when you get raided, you know, they, t- they take my cars, they freeze all your assets. Um, and my brother actually was partners with me in a credit repair business who was also a Detroit police officer. OK, he actually um, had nothing to do with the cannabis side. That was I was going on my own agenda on that. Um, but he still had the credit repair business and we were partners on that lease. Um, and he actually went and signed the lease for me to get the other location down the hall just because I didn't have time to sign a lease that day. Oh, because his name was on the lease, he was charged with conspiracy. What? And, yes, he was charged with conspiracy, and he was um, suspended without pay from the force. You got to be kidding me. So I'm pretty much in the wilderness, butt naked right now. No money. You, you ain't cars kidding. are gone. They raided the houses. Um, houses meaning I had, um, no, I, I'm not a basketball money like that at that time, but I did. My parents end up going through foreclosure. So we ended up uh, getting some money together and bought them a house for Christmas. Um, and my name was on the title um, that I got for them. They raided my parents' house because my name was on it. Um, and my mom is bipolar slash schizophrenic diagnosed. Um, they went in there, put, now they, when you raid, they've got ski masks, AKs, guns. They, uh, she's in the bed. They put guns in her face. Um, and I could hear it because my, my dad calls me. He's like, they're in the house, son. And it's like, where your son at? And it's like, your son's a drug dealer. Your son's a drug dealer. Where's he at? Where's he at? 
Um, and, they, and, they, and they talked to my mom. My mom's like, no, 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 no. Leave me, leave him alone. Uh, so to this day, uh, my mom does not even answer the door because wow. of that, that whole scenario. So yeah. So after that, I mean, that was fuel, man. That was, that had me in a rage. So after all of that, um, I go, you know, and just like, look, I'm right here. You know, just what I, then they put me in jail for a couple of days and let me out. So I got, yeah, those couple cases. And then we get charged later, all of us in the clinic. It was six of us. My brother gets charged. I gets charged. Um, and then everybody else who was working there gets charged. So, yes, I'm fighting the Brownie case. Now I got to fight this dispensary case at the same time. And and I mean, now, again, just by your explanation alone to me, it's clear that you were following the law. What was the attitude of the prosecutorial side of these cases, the case of the, the dispensary case? The, the attitude was more of you ever been like driving down a freeway or something where it's raining on one side of the road. It's not raining on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here in Michigan, we have what is called eight mile and eight mile. No, people see the movies eight mile, mm-hmm. but that's a dividing line really between two different counties. Uh, one is Oakland County and one is Wayne County. Wayne County is where Detroit is. It's more of like an urban say per se county. And in the Wayne County, it was all good. You know, there was, you know, at one point in time, there was over 300 different, we call them weed shops in Wayne County. Okay. In Oakland County, you know, there was about a hundred, but they all started getting raided. But we thought that we were fine because again, we're following. I mean, you hear people getting raided because you think, all right, they're, they're just playing games. You know, that some of them got alligators and guns and all right, maybe you guys are, you know, not really trying to obey the law. You know, you, you guys are just trying to use it as a, as a guys. But then when they raided us, it was like, you know what? It didn't even matter if you were trying to follow the law. It was more of, they just don't want cannabis in their area. And we're going to raid you and let the courts figure it out. So the attitude of prosecutors depend on what county you was in. Um, and, and so I was in a county that was more conservative, um, but I didn't have signs. And I thought I was being respectful. I wasn't flaunting. You only heard about us by word of mouth. You only heard about us on Wheat Maps. You only heard about us on TAC Finder. You know, we weren't out there, you know, with, you know, big signs saying we's here. So the attitude was more um, the whole reefer mass that weed is still a drug um, and that we're just drug dealers and marijuana is bad. And if you smoke a marijuana, you should be in jail. So they would treat a marijuana as a criminal issue versus a health scenario. Right. And so, I mean, again, now you're sitting there with two court. Is, is it under the same judge or in two different municipal courts? Uh, I end up being in the same circuit court because this all happened in Oakland County. So when I got pulled over, it was Oakland County. Uh, when I end up getting raided, I was in Oakland County because I actually lived in Oakland County. So I was doing business where I lived. And uh, yeah, I got two different court cases going on. So once I lost that trial, I still end up, you know, was fighting this um, dispensary case. So I come out um, of jail um, and my brother's trying to keep the gym and stuff together. I actually opened up a gym for my brother because he had lost his job and he's having a baby. So I created a, 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 I was always kind of an entrepreneur per se. Um, and I opened up a gym for him so he can you know, work out. He always liked working out. He played football too. Um, so he used that as a means of income. Uh, so he was running that and I came out and, uh, Again, I, the, it more was trying to drown a shark. It just kind of pissed you off because you felt like you was in a right. And now you realize I got in it for the money, but I'm staying more for the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that's where it's like we had to. It was almost like you just needed something higher than me was calling me to not give up and, 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 and to keep fighting. And, and, I, and that's what I did. So when you got you got convicted of the trafficking or transportation one, how I long did they give you for that? Um, so I, after serving 30 days, they ended up giving me, um, the max of probation, which was five years. Okay. So you say 30 days, then you got out for that. You had a five-year probation on you. Five year, then you had to go back into a courtroom to argue the dispensary one. Yes. And, and it's not like going to court is a happy place. It's a daunting, no. it's a, the, the, on the spirit mentally. I mean, imagine, I can, I can imagine even if I, I mean, I've always been an entrepreneur, so I can kind of work my own schedule, but I've had a job. I mean, but how many times you got to keep going? You got to call off work. You got to go show up. All these hearings, things get canceled, reappeal, holidays. Yeah. So, and so that case was going on for another uh, four or five years. So that case ended up getting dismissed um, based upon entrapment. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the cop actually entrapped us. Um, I mentioned that you have in Michigan, you have immunity, meaning you know, I'm within my limits. You really, you know, you can't touch me per se. But if you fall outside your limits, you have what is called an affirmative defense. I Meaning, you just got to prove that um, what you have was a reasonable amount. Okay, if I had a million pounds, I got to 
be able to explain that. But if I had three, four or five pounds, I've got to explain why I have that much, whether it's for edibles or brownies, uh, et cetera. Uh, I had to prove that I had a bona fide doctor patient relationship, meaning I didn't have some Skype call and some guy just gave me a card, but I had a relationship with the doctor who gave me my prescription. And then third, I needed to prove that it was for medical use. Um, the third thing was hard to prove because the cop was going to take the stand and say it wasn't for medical use. And the cop, but you had the cop on film saying he had a bad back and all that stuff, right? Yeah. And we had paperwork and you posed as, so you entrapped us from being able to defend ourselves in court of our affirmative defense. And the judge saw that. Now I went through multiple, it wasn't as simple. I went through multiple different attorneys. Everybody wants you to take, please. You want, and, and I got six, there's six of us. It's easy for someone to, you know, just flip or say this or say that we all stuck together as a unit um, and fought this whole case uh, for about four or five years. So we won that on entrapment, but then guess what? No, what? They appealed it. What? The county appealed it. So now we got to go to court, court of appeals, more money. Uh, yeah. And so then the, the court of appeals actually reversed the decision. So then we had to go back to circuit and refight the entire case again. So we ended up appealing that and going to the Supreme Court. Wow. The Brownie case, I had a right to appeal. I appealed that. And that went to the uh, appellate court. And the appellate court actually ruled in my favor, kind of. Meaning they said that, yes, I should have at trial been able to mention medical marijuana. I should have been able to have my affirmative defense, even though, again, I was outside of my immunity, meaning I was over my limits. But I still have what is called an affirmative defense where I can explain those three things. But they still, they're still claiming you're over your limit, but you truly weren't over your limit when you were talking one gram per brownie. Which is why I said kind of, uh, which, oh, yeah. was, which was then they also, in the same opinion, said that anything that's not dry flour is unusable marijuana for medical patients. So meaning that there was, because of my case, made case law, it, across the board that and across the entire, entire state of Michigan, the only thing that people could consume for medical purposes was only dry flour. Wow. So edibles were now made illegal. And people were just like, where the hell did this opinion get? I mean, the opinion was horrendous. I mean, attorneys, everybody was just like, this has to been the most horrendous opinion. And again, at this time, the appellate uh, judges at that time, they were anti-canvas as well. They, they weren't, you know, it, it, all of this was just I, my first taste of political uh, scene of, of what happens uh, behind the scenes. So um, I had a decision. I could go back to circuit court, go about my way, have my affirmative defense, easily explain. I had a patient doctor relationship, easy to explain having 24 uh, brownies is a reasonable amount. I eat one brownie a day or something like that. And that's a 60, 30 day supply. Easily explain that. Um, it's for medical use. I never said it wasn't for medical use. I could have easily got that off my record and call this a day and be done with that. But my case would remain case law and everybody else, meaning your grandma, if your grandmother had a 16 ounce cup of coffee and she decided to put a little tincture in there, your grandmother now is in possession of a pound. So she can get arrested and go through the same stuff that I just went through. And then, you know, just consciously, again, something higher than me was just like, I, I just can't think about myself. Now it's not about me being served, but how can I be a servant uh, to other people? And I took that to the Supreme Court. And this shit ain't cheap. Right. <laughs> so right. I had to go to Supreme Court for two cases, man. Yeah, it's wild. And then when did that finally come out as, as when you went to the Supreme Court? So Supreme Court, because it got to the Supreme Court, it, it drawed a lot of me uh, attention, per se. Uh, not a well, lot of everybody, everybody in the state had to be like just dangling on this decision because that means that edibles are not available. Yeah, because you have kids. I mean, there's still kids um, who are consuming cannabis, but the parents don't want them to smoke it. They're, they're using tinctures right. Um, right. and things like that. Or there's people who don't want to consume or, or, or don't want to smoke. Right. So to, to say you, the only thing you could use for medical purposes was a smokable dry flower was ridiculous. Um, so even though that wasn't the intent in the law either. So it thought it was going to be an easy Supreme Court case. They were going to take it. Um, so, But it ended up creating legislation. Ended up creating legislation. And legislation um, ended up passing uh, that made up rules of how the definition of edibles um, or um, concentrates or anything that's in a liquid form is medical use based upon me about to take it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court decided not to take the case because there was le 
because there was legislation. Gotcha. So now, then, like, since that was for so that was for the first trafficking case. What ended up happening with your dispensary case? Or- now the trafficking case, just so you know, we're gonna pause this in a second. Didn't end, even though there's legislation. What? The legislation even applied retroactively, which is unheard of. Like they knew they messed up. They created legislation that says these edibles are legal and it's applied retroactively. So that means anyone else who caught these cases retroactively can go back and you know reappeal it, but you just it's not gonna automatically happen. So my case didn't just end. I, I still had to go back to circuit court, man. I had to go back to circuit court and actually have my affirmative defense. And I had my affirmative defense. Um, I won my affirmative defense. And then guess what? They appealed it. <laughs> so <laughs> they, so appealed. Just, they just really were trying to, you know, if you really look at it, look at it. They were just trying to use you as an example to say, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to go after you until we get you. Yeah, they're going to draw you out. I mean, by the grace of God, I was able to weather the storm. It's not, it's not because I, you know, came from a lot of money. I'm like, I'm just hustling as I'm going. I'm just, I was still being provided for, um, as this was going through, I wasn't, you know, didn't have a bunch of stuff statement. They, they took everything. They froze everything. I never got my cars back because of asset forfeiture laws. You know, you are guilty until you prove proven innocent as far as your asset stuff. That's what's called policing for profit. You know, they can go through with low hanging fruit, go for the cannabis people, um, and and end up getting their cars, getting their houses, getting anything that was was paid off, and then you know you end up taking a plea and you can't get your stuff back, and then and then they end up selling that in auctions. I mean, just the county alone, I believe, made like over six million in asset forfeitures, and that went to them getting new tanks and big guns and you know uh, yeah. whatever budgets it was. So it's yeah, so it's it's a big money game. It's it's a so yeah, so I'm I'm fighting against some. I didn't know it was this huge. So. So yeah, so that's that. So I'm still fighting that. Uh, that went to appeals, um, and then now I'm fighting the appeal here at the entrapment case. And then the uh, the now they actually reversed that and said that the judge was wrong in dismissing it based upon entrapment. Um, and and their reasoning was that because that entrapment is really trying to trap someone into doing something that they were not already going to do. And they were saying that we were already going to serve cannabis, so therefore he didn't entrap us in serving cannabis. I was like, wait a minute. Yes, but they he was, we were only going to serve a patient. It wasn't like we was on the street um, or just serving anybody walking in. So, yeah, that went back to that. So I, we had to appeal that to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court ended up not taking that 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 case because they have the right to take whatever cases they want. They ended up not taking that case. So we had to go back to circuit court, um, refight the whole case. They didn't want to reopen this case. No, this is going on six, man, 2012 to 2018, like six years. Yeah, so they did not want to have reopened this entire case. So they ended up offering um, a deal to where I would kind of plead no contest and take like a ticket and take like a ticket and everybody else will be able to kind of walk away from this. Um, And actually, it was my brother and I. And it was tough because it was just like my brother had nothing to do with this, man. His just name was on the lease. But because we're brothers, they thought we were the, you know, these kingpins. And I'm like, thought we, he's a cop. You know, we got financial backgrounds. You know, we clean records. Like, we got in this for the entrepreneur side. It wasn't, you know, as if we were habitual criminals. So, anyways, I ended up taking that for the greater sense of dragging. I mean, everyone else was getting tired, too. I mean, it was, it was they didn't want to go through the whole thing. People, I mean, in six years. I mean, you could have had a baby by now. You know, sure. people ended up in like elementary school by now. So it was just like, it was daunting. So I, I ended up taking that um, and then that ended. Um, and then I ended up out serving, going back to the other case. I ended up over serving my probation. Now, mind you, I got the conviction overturned. I went back to have my, my affirmative defense. They still did not take me off probation this entire time. Um, so I'm going testing every single day. I can't consume cannabis every single day. I got to go to these classes. They're calling me by probation officer, you know, acting like, you know, they're the world's savior and you're just a piece of shit. Um, every single day I got to hear this. And then, um, yeah, so I end up out serving my sentence. So technically now after they appealed it, the uh, court, the court of appeal decided not to take the appeal of me winning my, my firm defense. They actually ruled that I won it cleanly. So now I have my firm defense and now I can have my new trial. The ironic thing is I was the first case my attorney ever had to where if I went to trial, 
there's nothing that, that they could do to me because I already was sentenced. <laughs> I already I was served by probation. So technically, what I got to lose? Let's go to right. trial. I can go in there butt naked and be like, let's go. Right, right. And did you do that? So I'm going to go butt naked. <laughs> no, I didn't go butt naked. So I'm like, yeah, we're going to trial. Like, true. I went through all this. We're going to trial. I'm using my rights. Going to trial, going to trial, going to trial. The day before the trial, um, they ended up dismissing the whole case, man. I, they ended up dismissing the whole thing. And, and now we went from medical at this time, too, to recreational. So this is like 2016. We went recreational. So it went, even went adult use that clearly talked about edibles. And I'm still fighting this medical case. So, yeah, end up getting dismissed. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And I still never got anything back from that case um, as far as assets, forfeitures, all that jazz. So, and then they end up uh, just now taking that felony off my record. So, yeah. That's insane. And now can you sue the state to be recompensated or compensated for what you've lost or you just want to stop? It was, it was a conversation that I could, could do a civil lawsuit. Uh, but again, it was more money. It wasn't like attorney was going to try to do this pro bono per se. Uh, so it was going to be more money. And honestly, I was tired of going to court, man. This was 2010 to 2000. Um, 18, um, that, yeah, that, that I was going through this. So yeah. Yeah. So, um, in the meantime, <laughs> I kept operating and, uh, you're still able to run your businesses anyway. Yeah. Oh man. Shoot. A little caveat, uh, to this scenario. I, I it's drawing back memories. I just tried to block this whole thing scenario. I would just keep moving my life, but nevertheless, I end up, uh, because I kept fighting this case, it was ironically, I told you I had a credit repair business and I had helped someone get a mortgage and I used my company as a verification of employment for that person. Mm-hmm. True. I did that. Um, and the person ended up you know, not paying the mortgage and, um, and it ended up being this big thing at this whole complex where people were getting loans um, and not paying it back. Um, I got tied in that just because my company was on a VOE, but nothing really came about it. But as I was fighting these cases, the uh, one of the attorneys that I had that I ended up not hiring or, or firing and getting another one said, you know what? Um, there could be a federal case that they're going to bring up against you um, for wire fraud, for conspiracy. For what? Wire, for, for wire fraud. If you take pleas, um, they could do away with the federal case. Um, but this conversation goes nowhere outside this room. I um, mean, if, if, if anything happens, I mean, no, I, everyone's going to deny it. So it's, I'm like, what are you talking about? No way, bro. Man, I end up getting picked up by the feds, man, for uh, a conspiracy uh, for wire fraud based upon that verification employment of all the things. And I end up going to jail for a year for that. What? For a year. What? For a year for that. Because I couldn't, I mean, I technically, yes, I, I mean, I did it. I, I did allow him for, ver- but I'm sure there's a lot worse things that da 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 da. Uh, but yeah, I, I couldn't, you can't fight conspiracy. I mean, conspiracy. I mean, how do you, I mean, it could be a phone call and now you got conspiracy because you, you know, took a phone call from a guy. So I ended up being guilty on that. Um, or I took, you know, the plea on that because I was going to fight that. I was, fight, I was fighting three cases at one time. I just had one of them from jail. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. insane, man. Well, how's life now? <laughs> I mean, what's been happening in the last three years? So, um, yeah, so. I ended up going to jail until really after the dispensary case, after that case. And again, I was still in a canvas business. I still thought, you know, there was an opportunity. I still was running um, the collective. Um, the state had came in and they were uh, licensing now. So before it was like this natural, organic, as long as you had a caregiver license, you could operate. Now the state was coming in saying, now you can get a state medical license. Um, and I was like, well, bet I'm going for the state medical license. And I knew you know, I got the court cases going on. I can't, I'm not going to be the best face of the company here. Um, and I never had any partners, but I ended up getting attorneys together, scrapping my package together to apply to the state um, to. Well, first I had to get my city license. One, the city came in and started doing licensing, ended up getting my city license because the rules weren't as no, no big background checks. But the state came in and they said, you got to have three hundred thousand dollars clean in an account um, proven for the last two years, uh, which knocked out a lot of people. Um, and then you also got to have a clean background. Uh, for the last 10 years that knocked out a lot of people. Um, and also there was, I'm sorry, there was the financial, um, there was a criminal um, and there was one more, I'm sorry, just, I'm drawing a blank, but th- those two knocked out a lot, but I ended up um, partnering 
with a retired tax accountant for Ford who had the money in his tax uh, in his uh, tax account. Um, so I partnered with him. I was going to own a lease. I was going to be a highly paid employee up until the time that I could um, become a official person on paper. And all this was going to be up front, uh, but he was going to be more of the applicant. Right. Um, so we end up going um, to the board, getting our license um, heard and get in there was no easy feat. Like everyone, like no one could get there. Like I got a cost over a hundred thousand, even get to the board throughout fighting these cases, get here, partner with him. I'm like, this is going to happen. We're going to get this license. And then they can be like, hold this coveted license, like med men, you know, people come in here. Some people want to buy you out. You bought a couple million. Uh, we end up getting denied because th- there was a board and the board can deny you not because of you were disqualified, but for anything such as character. They denied my applicant because he had a 21-year-old domestic dispute that he did not disclose on his application. It had what? nothing to do with being disqualified because it now is even more political. So then, you know, he's he's done with it. You know, he's and now I'm, I'm operating temporarily underneath a city license. Um, but now the state just denied me. It's like, what do you do? Now I'm, I'm on a radar. I got to shut down. But this is my bread and butter. So I ended up having to, and I was at the super, I was the one yard line, man. This is the Seahawks, Patriots, one yard line, hand off to, to, to Lynch, get into the end zone, you win a Super Bowl. It dropped back, throw a pass, picked off, you lose a Super Bowl, you're at the one yard line. Now Tom Brady gets a Super Bowl ring. I was, I, I felt like Russell Wilson, man. Wow. I was at the one yard line. Like, I'm finally going to get over this hump. I'm going to get to the, say, next level. All right, of entrepreneurship with this license and then the sky's the limit. I can partner with people. Um, now you're talking about millions and not these couple thousands. I'm just trying to hustle and do all this stuff with. And uh, yeah, I end up having to shut down, end up having to transfer my city license um, for really a couple dollars. Um, and I reinvented myself as that's where the private club came in. And that's where that was the motivation behind creating the, the G3 Cannabis Therapy Network, right? Yeah. So G3 actually was the first, was a name, uh, it was called Green Greener Grow. G3 was the first, was the original name um, of the first place we got rated. So it's called Green Greener Grow. Uh, I was just playing around with the name because I was just growing. I didn't really mean to start a collective and start a delivery service. I just called, you know, I, I got to start an LLC. I just went, oh, Green Greener Grow. So I was just playing with the mm-hmm. name. Um, but mm-hmm. once things started, like branding, um, and once we got raided, I, I still needed to reopen, so I renamed it G3. Um, so then G3 became more, um, but then once the city came into license, um, I had two locations. Uh, G3 did not fit the city license zoning, but the other location, Taste Buds, did. Um, so I had to turn G3 into more of an educational place um, and more to a clinic. And then I would take the people from there and I'll refer them over to Taste Buds. Uh, which was the place that was actually going to get the license. So I kept that G- G3 pivoted to educational um, and clinic um, place. So I had a doctor come in, Dr. Days, people can come in. Then after you get your, uh, your, your card and all that stuff, you need to get cannabis. We refer you over to taste buds. Um, and, and now, but, but you did not get the state license or did you get a state license? No. So then taste bud had to shut that down. Um, but still education, I'm not touching the plant. I kept that along. So cannabis therapy network, was I always saw cannabis as a therapeutic remedy. Um, and, and I always felt like we could help people have more comfortable experiences and avoid those bad experiences, such as overconsuming. Um, everybody has a horrible story about eating too much of a brownie um, or the whole stigma. Maybe your mom and dad didn't, um, they still have the reefer menace like I did. So we would educate people um, and do YouTube series and do podcasts on teaching people how to use cannabis from a therapeutic, therapeutic point of view comfortably. So that was more of the, the umbrella company of all the different brands. Um, so through that, then the club came in because I was reading the, the recreational law after I lost the Super Bowl here of licensing. Um, picked myself up. You know, I did cry for a little woohoo. Man, it sucks. But it's still, what can I do? Uh, not what I can't do. What can I do? How can I participate in this industry? And the recreational law here says that a person 21 years of age or older uh, can consume in a private residence. Um, and people can gather uh, for cannabis uh, reasons um, in a private residence. Well, what's a private residence? That's why I opened up a private club 
for like-minded people to come together uh, to network, share resources, and make connections. Because the other thing I felt like if I was part of a community um, and not just by myself, that things would have been different when I went for that license. So if I'm, and I do plan on going back to get a recreational license now, not a medical, because the recreational rule is a little bit different, but I want to do it now with a greater uh, group of people around me with a bigger network. So that's why I was a campus therapy network and the private club is a local place to meet people, um, to, to make those connections. Now there's attorneys here, there's doctors here, um, there's plumbers here, there's, um, you know, musicians here, uh, but it's an elegant upscale place where people can feel comfortable uh, to be themselves with cannabis. So can you consume on location. I'm sorry. Can you consume on location? I don't know the laws of Michigan. Can you consume on location? Uh, we do not promote the consumption of cannabis, um, but there is a consumption license that the state just created. So now we're going through the consumption. The plan is to get a consumption lounge license or a private event license. So we're going to use the club space. Now that's kind of I was looking where the ball's going, not where the ball's at. So I was going to use this space as we built the clientele now about cannabis, even though we're not selling stuff and we're not um, promoting the consumption. We're still doing events that is like cannabis theme. Um, um, we got comedy shows, concerts. Uh, we have country shows. Uh, we have burlesque shows. Uh, we, we have uh, DJs. Uh, but everyone's more still in a cannabis scene, um, just not necessarily with cannabis until we eventually get that license. So they can um, consume cannabis before they walk in the door. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can consume, but, um, but we have, you know, uh, giveaways. Now, another thing about the law too here that we could gift cannabis. So it's a membership based private. So in a recreational law, what's truly gifting, like you have to give it without any kind of value getting back. So I can't really give you, you know, a gram and you give me $20. That's not a gift. Right. But at mm-hmm. Christmas I could give you two ounces and you know, that's not a, that's a legal transaction. So as a member of the club, at times we do give out cannabis for free um, as a privilege of being a member in the club. Gotcha. So, and what other services does the club offer? Um, so we also, uh, through classes on how to grow. Uh, so that's where the other brand, um, Homegrown um, Weed, Homegrown Weed started. I felt like a lot of the industry was more targeted towards big commercial growth. Um, 10,000. If you go to Canacon or, or uh, MJ Biz shows, um, they were, you know, all these layouts, all these architects for 10,000 plants, 5,000 plants, 20,000 plants. Uh, but what about someone who just want to grow four, four, four plants? Um, a lot of states um, that are now becoming legalized, you can grow up to um, four to 12 plants um, in your home. But where can you go to get information on how to grow? Yes, you can go to YouTube and watch, you know, thousands of different areas. Everybody's got different opinions. You know, they think, you know, my penis is bigger than your penis. I grow better than you. It's like, all right, let's get the eagles out the way. Let's just teach some people some simple methods. Um, so I did a big uh, a homegrown summit where I got over 40 different growers like Ed, Ed Rosenthal, uh, Tommy Chong came out, um, uh, Mont- uh, Montross. I, I believe you actually did a show with him on, mm-hmm. on terpenes. So we came out and we taught people from different methods on how to grow at home a clean, amazing cannabis. And the goal with that then is I'm going to start a membership um, and a course that's teaching people how to grow um, a certain method. And there's a thousand different methods, um, but giving people a good method, how to grow at home and just targeting home growers. So, um, so I'm constantly trying to think, again, what can I do in the meantime until I'm able to get that state license? And that's pending until the city of Detroit, because we're located in Detroit, it's pending until the city of Detroit actually creates an ordinance um, that will allow recreational businesses. It did create an ordinance, um, and then it got sued because they created an ordinance that was based on social equity. They actually tried to give people who were disproportionately affected by the war on drugs a leg up, which is a good thing, but right. you know, not good for other people who have other agendas. So correct. Now, so now you were the first POC dispensary owner in Michigan. What's that mean? What's a POC dispensary? You know, that was funny. I, I was labeled. I was like, I was googling that myself, but it's person of color. Because I, I saw an article um, and, it, and, it, and they, they tagged me as the first because I was the first really that Green Greener Girl Collective. Um, I was you know, after starting the delivery service, there really wasn't any collectives. Um, and people use the word dispensary just because it's a common term of a place that you can go and get cannabis. But, yeah, I was the first really um, black person to come out in the open with a medical um, dispensary slash collective. Uh, but there's probably, you know. Sometimes when you first, it's not the best thing because you end up getting raided. So. Right. 
So now do you, uh, that's, uh, you no longer have that or you no, no. Yeah. Cause th- that was the raid. Gotcha. Um, and then I ended up moving um, to actually end up moving to Detroit to continue to operate. Um, and then I ended up having two locations and then one location did not, which is um, the G3 did not meet the zoning cause the city came in and started to regulate. Cause there's over 300 stores just in Detroit. It started getting crazy. So the city came in and not rating everyone. They did everything respectfully. The city came in and said that we're going to um, zone where these places can go. Um, so naturally I only had you know, one store. Um, and then that store I had to shut down because I got denied for the state license. So that's a, I pivoted to the private club. Okay. So right now you're in the private club business waiting to get another license to have a dispensary? To have a consumption lounge or consumption. private event license where I could do events-based um, cannabis, uh, whether it's uh, comedy shows, uh, whether it is like a, a brunch, uh, whether it's, it's, it's private dinners. Um, yeah, so just cannabis events um, is where- And you can consume going. cannabis during that event. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, my friend, I mean, I, what's what's that like in, in Michigan now for- you know, for minorities who are trying to get in the business. <laughs> it's uh, right now, man, that's, I'm going to try to say this in a, right now, a lot, it's, it's about timing. Right now, I would say it's a good time to get into the industry here in Michigan. Um, the rules are a little bit more lax as far as applicants, uh, as far as applications, However, the real estate is scarce. Or, uh, I'm sorry, the real estate is scarce, meaning um, you can now qualify and get a state license um, for a recreational applicant, meaning now that we're adult use, that they're not counting marijuana offenses against you. Um, they're not saying that you need to have $300,000 in your account anymore. Um, so the rules have the barrier to entry for the adult use has lowered. However, even if you got uh, uh, approved as a person or a business, you still got to find a location. Gotcha. And then that's the hard part right now here in Michigan is finding the location. Because I would say about 80% of the municipalities here still opted out because you have the ability to opt out of having adult use um, or medical use. Um, so some have had just medical, which that barrier is still too high. And then many have still opted out of adult use at the moment. So it's you can get approved now as a business or an applicant, but doesn't mean you're going to find the real estate, if that makes sense. Gotcha. And again, you say 80 percent of people have opted out. Does that mean that in a state where adult use is legal, you can still be busted for using? Um, well, you no. Um, still in adult opted out, meaning for commercial business. For commercial business. Yes, yes. But so I can consume someplace. I just can't buy it. That's yes. For for uh, for our, for our adult use, you can have two and a half ounces anywhere. Okay, they do they do want to be locked in and closed if you're you know driving with it. Um, you can have two and a half ounces on you, um, and you can have up to um, fifteen or I believe yeah fifteen ounces out in your house. And there's like an unlimited amount of cannabis you can actually have in a safe. Um, if and and you can grow twelve plants per household for adult use. This is not yeah. medical. This is adult use. Now, where you can consume is only in a private residence. You still can't do it in a public. You can't be at a public park. You can't you know be in the streets. Um, it's, it's not like New York has a rule to where you could consume um, just anywhere where you can smoke tobacco in, 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 in New York. But in Michigan, it, you cannot consume um, in a public place. It has to be in a private place. And then have they? adjusted the laws for ex- extracts, edibles, tinctures, those kinds of things? Yeah. So they, they made that in the initial draft. They they learned their lesson from the brownie case. Um, so there's, yeah, they, they made rules to how much edibles you can have, how much concentrates um, that you can have yep, for, for adult use. So there's two rules now. There's two, there's two lanes. You got the medical lane here in Michigan and you have the adult use. So, now, I mean, so what do you, are, you're looking forward to now possibly getting your own licenses so that you could try to go back into this business again or through that. But by this time, man, I, I think I would have probably thrown my hands up and said, you know, the hell with this shit. There. You know what, Montel, I'm going to start a talk show. I need your help, man. There you, go. <laughs> no. there you go. No, 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 I'm a, 
Yeah. So as of right now, I'm thinking of ways. I got the Canvas Therapy Network. That's more of a uh, educational platform. Um, so I'm doing that to, to build the audience and then be able to right now specialize in non-touch, non-plant touching businesses up until the point that I could get a license. So I still, um, yes, I have to hope for the license. I have the private club, but who knows, right? Um, I'm still waiting on the city. So in the meantime, I still got the homegrown. Um, we got the homegrown weed summit.com. Uh, we did the, we do that summit every single year where we have 45 different growers come together um, and teach techniques on how to grow from A to Z um, good cannabis. Um, and then also I'm going to have the homegrown membership, the homegrown course. Um, and then also I have the craft hemp box. So the craft cannabis club um, hemp is federally legal. Uh, we actually ship out hemp boxes every single month. So we actually um, have products that we have people journal the use of I actually have a journal company called Tiggity. I know, right? I have ADD as an entrepreneur. Uh, I have a, I have a, uh, I have a, uh, a journal brand to wear because I feel like Indica Sativa is fake news. It doesn't really tell you yeah, how it's right. going to make you right. feel. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So this journal allows people to give real feedback based upon how the, uh, plants affect you, um, and then we take that inf- that information, and that's how we recommend products in our hemp boxes. So, so we ship out hemp boxes now across all fifty states. So the Craft Canvas Club has a box subscription side of it where we ship out hemp boxes. Hey, you can charge for this. Yeah. yeah okay, 50 bucks it. a month. Yep. 50 bucks a month. You get a box that's worth 75 to hundred bucks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, my goodness, my friend. Were you thinking about writing a book? Uh, I don't know, man. I guess this is really the first time I'm really talking about my story. So I guess hopefully it's making sense. <laughs> oh, it made a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense for you to go ahead and put this on paper, man. So people can understand this is a movie in itself. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I pre- and I, and I, and I thank you for even just listening, man, and and um, and being intrigued and and being a shoulder to actually talk to, man. Just being an ear. Well, look, I, I tell you, I know that our listeners are, have just been thrilled with what you've been able to share, and you know, I look forward to talking to you some more, man. If you're German, we're almost out of time, but I, I got to tell you, anything else you want to add? Ah, man, um, you know, just. Perseverance. Um, you are clearly, you are clearly, I bet if I open up a Webster's dictionary and look in and look up the word perseverance, your face is there. You know, it's, and, and believe me, I've, you know, this, there's, there's, I've, I've, I've leaned on, um, got a lot through this entire scenario. I, I've, I've grown a lot. My, my mind has grown a lot. Um, my attitude has grown a lot. So I, I look at it now as not, oh, well, what has happened to me? Um, or why is this happening to me, but more, why is this happening for me? Um, so those simple mind shifts um, has helped me grow, and I've definitely became um, more selfless than selfish. And um, my mind is more set on how can I, like all these brands is more of how can I serve people better more than looking at how people can serve me. So I, I think, uh, you know, if you want to follow what I'm doing, I mean, I got the CanvasTherapyNetwork.org, Cannabis therapynetwork.org. Again, that's like the mother of all the brands. And then from there, you can find um, different brands. It's, it's a free membership uh, where uh, you get we get monthly content on how to consume cannabis, um, how to dose cannabis, kind of like what same, same thing you're doing, Montel. Just right. um, a lot of education. I mean, education is the, is, is the key to the key. help. Yes, yes. To, the key. And, and, Look, my and, friend, I I, I want to have you back. I really do. I mean, we we can chop it up, uh, you know, on ma- a myriad of topics. So <laughs> I would love to have you back. And um, I got to thank you for sharing today, man. Because and I wanted to plant the seed for you, man. You need to really sit down and talk to somebody about writing this book because I think there's a movie behind what you're talking about. You know what I mean? And people need to understand the journey that so many have been through, uh, especially even after we claim that you know we're now woke. You know, we are less woke than most people think we are. Right? I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. And, and, and I, on that note, man, I, I think, I mean, the main mission is, is to awaken people's consciousness of the truth of cannabis. And and that thing saying that we're woke is like, are, I mean, do you really see? Because this no. is more, this is more than, I mean, I could have just been another statistic, fam. I mean, I could have got out of jail, you know, go back. Now I'm in the streets. Like almost they almost created another a criminal out of thin air, and I right. didn't want to go down that path. So it's it's I could be your son, I could be your brother, I could be your dad. I mean, it's 
whether you are smoking cannabis or not, whether you like cannabis or not, at the end of the day, this is just a plant and no one should be going to jail. Um, their assets forfeited, uh, their lives turned up, upside down over a plant that was all rooted in lies to begin with. Correct. Absolutely, my friend. Well, I thank you so much, Oak Brothers, for being a part of the show today, sir. Thank and you. again, like I said, you always have a home here on uh, Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And, you know, if you want to team up some time to do some educational things through your network, you know, let me know. I'd love to be a part of it. Um, you take care of yourself. You stay well. And I want to make sure all of our viewers out there, you know, again, let everybody know Earl's story is here on Let's Be Blunt because it needs to be told and it needs to be shared. Thank you so much. Absolutely, sir. Stay safe. Stay well. Be well now. All right, brother. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now. Well, then let's go. Welcome to your new favorite podcast, Hot Happy Mess, hosted by me, your girl, Zuri Hall. We are celebrating our magic in the middle of life's messes. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Listen to the Hot Happy Mess podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.